Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we have the man, the myth, the legend, Devin Reed, head of content strategy over at Gong. Nick, why should people listen? This was one of my favorite episodes to learn a little bit more about how to actually forecast well, which is something that I've kind of screwed up in the past. So if you want better certainty about whether or not your deals are going to close, Devin has some really good checklist questions and items you can really dig into to forecast better. I forecast that this will be a great episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. All right, Devin, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right, right into it. That's what I like you guys. All right, so first, the best cold call opening line I've ever come up with. You ready for it? Hey, Nick, this is Devin calling with Gong. 
did I catch you at a good time? If there is such a thing, all I did was add, if there is such a thing. And the reason it's worked is because it calls out the annoyance of my call, which is, I know there's no such thing as a good time. I'm calling it out. My goal was a laugh. If I just got a little like, eh, I'll take it. Anything more than that, even better. But their guard was down and I would open it up to a decent cold call. I don't know if I was great at it, but that line worked for me. Hit the tone, hit the pause. It'll work great. Beautiful, Devin. What's your second one? Number two is have a big idea for your C-level meetings. So I think a lot of people try to tell a C-level exec about their business, which doesn't always work out because that exec definitely knows their business better than you do, even if you've been working with their team for a long time. So instead, what you want to do is come up with one big idea that intertwines what they care about with something happening in the industry, right? So for example, uh, if you use like Gong as an example, if you want to successfully expand overseas, you need to know exactly what's happening in those conversations and what's working and what isn't. So it's an if then is a really good way. If you want something, then you need this other thing. So that works really well. Use it as an opening and it gets people interested. Third one, this is one of my favorite, triangulate the truth. So the goal of this was to learn what a true buying process is. So at Gong, we were kind of like SMB when we were getting started. And then I moved into the mid-market team as we you know, established that. And we started learning the buying process got really complicated and Somebody in sales ops was saying something different than in sales and someone in procurement. And so what I learned was if you're multi-threaded, ask the same line of questions to everybody that you're talking to. One of two things is going to happen. One, everyone's singing the same tune. You know that you have the buying process mapped out pretty confidently. Go ahead and run forward towards your deal. Or you'd start to see discrepancies in the answers. And let's say, you know, question one, two, and three, everyone's pretty much the same, but then you get to number four and you're getting different answers. That's where you know there's a hiccup. There's something you need to get ahead of. And you want to go and, and tackle that uncertainty before it finds you later in your deal. So we haven't dug into this much before. Let's talk about triangulating the truth. Oftentimes we hear, oh, you just got to talk to me. I'm going to get the deal done. Two weeks later, it's the end of the month. For whatever reason, the deal doesn't happen. So what are some of the common pitfalls that will sink your deal that we can start to ask some of our prospects about? For sure. So I think the one which is like, don't worry, just talk to me, I'll get it there, is ask how they bought previous pieces of technology, right? It's so like, all right, cool, Armand, totally, I'm with you, man. I know you're my champion. Hey, last time you bought Outreach, how did that process look? Who else did you uh, ask for input? Don't say who else was involved because that's the old like, oh, you're trying to get to Nick, my boss or whatever, right? Ask whose input you asked for, which means they're running point guard, right? And they're deciding who's involved and who whose opinion matters. And what they'll do is like, oh, you know, yeah, when we bought outreach, you know, uh, our sales ops team needed to be involved and, that, and that's ran by Derek. Uh, but sales enablement was also really important and that's ran by Jane. And now you know, who those folks are, and you want to ask those same buying questions to them. Devin, you talked about in the triangulate the truth idea, you're asking a series of questions to start to understand the buying process. Can you sort of walk me through what are those questions that you're asking? What are the things you're trying to suss out when you're trying to understand how they buy? Yeah, the, the way that I viewed this was like paranoia, which was I know on every Monday at like 10 a.m., I'm going to go into my pipeline review with my VP. 
And I know the questions that he's going to grill me and all the other reps on. And it's not knowing where the budget's coming from. It's not knowing who exactly is signing the contract at the end of the day. And those are usually the two big ones. So I would go into these conversations and I would write my line of questioning with all the times those questions have been asked or in that same room or end of month when you hear other people lost the deal, those heartbreakers, what went wrong? Oh, I wasn't talking to the right person. I was negotiating with the VP. I didn't even realize there was a CRO or I thought I could get the deal done without the CFO's direct approval, right? Or something like that. So I would hear all the ways deals went south and align my questions to make sure I could surface those answers. So when my VP asked, hey, if this is in commit, you know, how do you know it's going to come in on Friday? Well, I know when, I know where the budget is coming from. I know exactly how much they're allocating towards this. I know that my VP of sales is meeting the CRO on Tuesday. They're both going to meet with the CFO on Wednesday. And by four o'clock, I will be on the phone with them to ensure all those things happen. When you're bulletproof and confident in that buying process, you're not hoping and wondering last week of the month, last week of the quarter. So the other day was selling a deal and shocker guys, I have lost a deal in the past. I did lose this deal. And the reason is because I was talking to the VP. I thought I had access to power. And then who knew? A CHRO got hired and they were the ones who made the decision to go another direction. But the VP was convincing me the entire time. He's like, no, I got you. I'm a big paid fam. I'm all in on you guys. And I knew I had a bad feeling in my gut, but I couldn't get access to power. And so what are the right ways to artfully get access to power without the folks feeling like you're just going over their head and saying like, hey, you're going to be the person that blows this deal up, right? The number one question I use is who would feel left out? So you fill in the blank with wherever you are in the process. If you're in discovery phase, you can say, hey, Nick, who would feel left out if they missed the demo? Hey, Armand, who would feel left out if you made a purchasing decision without them knowing? Like for me, if I like me leading a content team at Gong, if I bought something without our marketing ops buy-in, that's no good. Like that's only going to be trouble later. And I know that, right? So if you ask me that question, I'm like, we got to go talk to Kyle. Like I'm not even asking for budget until Kyle's bought it. And so that's the sort of thing you want to. I think sometimes Ramon, you might say that and they'll be like, like, don't worry about it. It's whoever this new CHRO is, but don't worry about him or her. It's like, okay, cool. Like start to really break down, like how would that make them feel? What would that process be like introducing this purchasing decision and really like get them to imagine the actual moment of giving them the news and making sure that they're still okay and confident with it. Because that's when people usually start going, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that uncertainty, I'm like blood in the water. That's where, like you said, that gut feeling in your stomach starts to starts to build. As salespeople, we have to listen to that. We have to run towards that confrontation and those tough conversations. So our prep call, you were talking about this concept of soft verbals versus hard verbals. And, and what I'm hearing from you is a little bit of like a soft verbal where it's like, yeah, I want to go with gong in this case. How do you get that soft verbal to turn into a hard verbal, I guess? I view it differently. I view it as like a first and a second verbal. The first verbal is like, we want to move forward. Soft verbals spark happy ears. I definitely get excited. So I'm like, I validate. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, that's so like, whatever your style is. But I'm like, that's fantastic, Nick. Like, I'm, I'm pumped up. And I know you are too. Hey, what needs to happen between this moment and Gong being in your actual hands long-term? And then, you know, you're going to tell me all the things like probably realistically 60 to 75% of the truth. Not, not that you're lying, but that you don't have the full truth, right? There's a difference. There's missing information versus wrong info or misinformation. Then you reverse it and go, okay, what would prevent us from you getting gong long-term? And then that's where the objections, potential blockers come in. It's like, oh, we know Steve, you know, he's always involved in tech decisions and he's kind of a hard ass. Awesome. I love hearing that. When was the last time Steve said no and why? When was the last time Steve said yes and why? And then you start to prep and go, okay, now let's go meet with Steve together 
And we have this like map of like things you're going to do and things you're going to avoid with Steve, our, our metaphorical Steve here. I want to sort of take this idea of like the full truth lying thing back to one of the first things that you said in the beginning, which is the triangulation of the truth and how they actually are going to buy. And I guess it's all fine and dandy if Armand tells you the exact same buying process as what I tell you. But what do you do when somebody gives you contradictory information where what people are telling you about how the organization buys like doesn't match up? So you'll start to tackle, one could be like budget, right? Someone says, we do have a sales tech budget, which could be true. It could also be empty, right? I have a bank account. There could be zero dollars in it. It doesn't mean you're getting anything. And so if someone else is like, yeah, we do have sales tech budget, but our fiscal restarts in July 1, and that's when we release budget, right? So those could be, that's a good example right there. One person is saying we have budget. One might say, same scenario, we don't have budget because there's zero dollars left, right? So to me, that's where you start to do to figure out, okay, budget allocation is the hurdle. That's where the truth is stop being triangulated or whatever, however you want to think about it. And so that's when you have to start peeling back the layers. Hey, you know, I've heard that you guys have a sales budget, but maybe it's not being allocated. Like help me, help me. And I play stupid like this, which is very easy for me. It comes naturally. Uh, Help me understand, like, how does that work exactly in your organization? Ours is released on January 1st. I don't know if that's the same for you, Nick. Oh yeah, we have, we're in budget talks now. July 1 is when we can start spending that money. All right, great. That's, that's fantastic. You know, very different from us. Hey, is there anything like, is there anything left in that budget from now until then? Like, is there even 10 or 15 grand to work with? Or are we at zero? Because a lot of, and I'm breaking character here. Reason why is sometimes if it's a $50,000 deal and you have 25K now, fantastic. We'll split up the payment terms. I'll take the 25K and then we'll make the payment terms. You can pay me July, August, September, whatever, the other 25 grand. So one of the things that becomes really challenging for reps is let's say I finally have gotten to the point where maybe my champion has warmed me up. They've gone and championed me throughout the org. They're feeling really good about buying gong. And now they're like, great. I didn't have budget. I think I've found some budget. And now I'm going to pass you to my good friend, Hugh. He runs procurement. And now the deal takes a completely different path. What are some of the best practices or pitfalls that you tend to see when it comes to managing that first conversation with someone whose job is literally to get a discount from you? So the pitfall is getting combative with procurement. And so I think it's easy to go into it. And procurement, I've done it a dance with a few of them. I swear there are pit bulls in previous lives. Like they're just vicious. It's their job to say no, just like it's your job to get a yes. But you don't have to go into it really confrontational, right? And make them the enemy. Because the truth is their job is, is not really to say no. It's to say no to the wrong things. And when they say yes, to make it very favorable for them. I know there's, it's either rumor or, or true for some people, like they get comped on discounting, like how much they discount. They also get oftentimes comped on business growth. If your product or service is going to help the company grow and they say yes, that actually benefits them as well. So I don't know, you know, most people don't know that or don't think that way. And so the way that that's kind of the pitfall, the only way I've ever beat procurement is by multi-threading and having champions feeding me information. And so two things that I've learned is one, you have to have a champion, higher the better, more the better. And the second one, because they're tied, is never try to negotiate with procurement in one call. You actually want to drag it out to like two or three calls. And here's why. When you go into that meeting with procurement, they're going to hit you with you know, curveballs, bricks, everything to just beat you up and make you feel bad. And sometimes they'll try to jam you on the spot and be like, yeah, like you asked for 50K, Nick, we have 12 grand. You can take it or leave it. We're not like, there's, you know, they'll just hardline you. We're not going above that. The goal is to take all the information you can. Got to plug Chris Voss. He's fantastic at this. I'm not going to plug him any more than that. Just go read his book, but get as much information as you can and then close the call, go to your champion 
champions, hopefully, and feed them that information and ask if it's true or not, because you're going to get a lot of false information on purpose. And so then you start to, again, triangulating the truth here, figuring out what is this is real, what is true, what is not. And the other part is once you get to kind of that point, like, it does happen, right? Like, Hey, you're asking for a 30% discount. Like I just cannot do that. Like that's just not going to happen. So you can go to your business champions and go, Hey, honest to God, I can get you 18, but I can't get 30. And they'll feed that information to procurement. Like, Hey, you've done your thing. You've beat up Devin. He's called me crying. Good job. We really want to buy gong. And here's the deal that I really feel confident out of. Right. And then you can tell that, you know, the tone of that conversation from procurement when they come back to the table is like, you can tell they're willing to make a deal. They're willing to be a little more flexible. It's not easy. It's rarely fun, but it is doable. Well, this is one of the things why you have to have a champion internally, because if you can get on the same side as them, you can ask them the types of questions where it's like, hey, to your point earlier, like when has a deal not gotten done or when it gets to procurement, how much do they usually take off? So you know where you need to come in at and what you need to do in that conversation. Because if you clean yourself out before that conversation, then you come in with nothing to offer. And that procurement guy is going to rip your head off because he's actually going to think, or she is going to think that that deal is a bad deal for the company. So how do you deal with that? Because a lot of times you'll start with a sales manager and then they'll want price and then they'll ask for a piece. So they look good to the director. And then the director asks for a piece and then the CRO asks for a piece and then procurement asks for a piece. And by the end, like you're selling, you're, you're just selling Zoom at that point. You don't even have Gong anymore. And so how do you prevent that from happening? What you need to do is under, like have a very frank conversation with them, which is like, it wouldn't make sense to discount at this point because we're not at the budget allocation point, or we haven't finished proving value, or the use case isn't like fully baked or the business case, whatever you want to call it. And so at that point, it's kind of like, hey, 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 I'm actually not trying to sell you yet. Like we're not there yet. You know what I mean? You don't want to be like, oh, I'm, you know, like I don't want to negotiate with you because you're a sales manager. You never want to call that or, you know, finance manager, whatever is just like pump the brakes and go a little bit slower. And what I think salespeople sometimes forget is removing the deal or telling them it's not a good time actually builds credibility because people are conditioned to think salespeople are constantly trying to get me to buy. So when you pat interrupt and say, Hey, actually, I'm not trying to sell you this month. I don't think you're ready yet. Or I don't think, you know, I don't feel comfortable putting pricing in front of you because we don't even know the full value for your organization. Let's keep building the business case. Let's keep building the use case. So you look really good, Nick. Because when you go to Armand, I want you to look really good. That works really well. Cause you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's right. I want to, I do want to look good. I love that. I mean, I had a call with a customer recently and they asked me the top three reasons why their company should work with mine, like why they should buy my thing. And I intentionally only gave them two. And I said, I can't give you a third reason yet because we actually haven't we haven't done the demo here about this thing that you were asking me about earlier. And so I don't even know if that's a fit for you yet. So I hope that turns into reason three, but can we find a time to schedule that? And the guy kind of chuckled and then he did. Devin, I'm also curious about the deals where we're not so unfortunate as to have to work with the folks in procurement. Do you have any other like best practices for negotiation in terms of things you'll say, mediums through which you'll communicate when you're maybe just negotiating with the CRO? One of the things I learned the hard way was trying to negotiate over email. And you knew from being told, you knew because that you know feeling in your stomach, you're like, I just know this is like I'm walking the plank, but like I'm moving forward. So I guess that's good. Not realizing one more step in the ocean. So that's one thing I'm a big no on is like, I will not negotiate over email. Main reason why is you give people way too much time to think 
to come up with a good answer that benefits them more than it does you. And it drags the hell out of your deal. It can take days, weeks to negotiate over email. So instead, what I do is I have this like template I would use, basically just validates their ask, says that I wouldn't be able to, you know, I have a couple questions and I want to make sure I get the best deal for you. Can we jump on a five-minute call? It shouldn't take more than 10 minutes. Because when you jump over to the phone, that's where you're going to win. Because if you want to be the trusted advisor, that means you're walking side by side with them, giving them advice and helping them through it. Not going, oh, you got to go to two department heads and get budget. Like, great. Call me Thursday and let me know how that goes. One place where a lot of reps get stuck is it's the first week of the month. It's the second week of the month. You're relaxed. You're like, eh, the red lines will come. The security review will come. All these things will come eventually. Third week, you get a little bit nervous. Fourth week, you're like, guys, we got to start doing red lines now. And that's where most deals go to die. And so when you're starting to back out timelines, what are some of the things that you're doing? What are some of those milestones or benchmarks that you have in mind in your deal where you know like, hey, in week one, I need to do this. If the deal is at this state, I need to do that. The way you can start to drive timeline for security reviews, legal reviews is just say, hey, typically it takes about two weeks to get security done. I'm big on mutual action plans, like shared docs that we build together that you can see what needs to be done, who's the owner, when's it going to get done by? Because when you have that agreed, and usually that's around like the pilot phase or like mid funnel, depending on your sales cycle, is we agree that this is the plan and we agree that we're trying to get to this end result. Now, then what happens is when I put Ramon's name as the owner for one of these things, a week passes, we get on the call and you tell me that you haven't done it yet, I can hold you accountable. And I can tell you, hey, we can't move on and get this thing, we know this compelling event for you because always make sure it's about the client. We're gonna miss that date if we don't get caught up. So, hey, is it fair to ask you to get that done by Thursday? And I'll make sure I get my next line item here done by Thursday as well. Let's meet Friday to make sure that we're aligned and we know what the next phase is. I guess I'm curious about the compelling event stuff because you sell to sales leaders and I feel like sales, it's always just like, yeah, we got to sell more. We got to sell more. We got to sell more. So like, I guess I'm curious, what sort of compelling events do you guys use and how do you attach the sale to that? There's a ton. So we're very calendar focused in sales, right? End of month, end of quarter. They usually are too, or they at least understand it, right? And they know end of quarter deals are coming and they know end of month deals are coming. One line I would use is like around holidays. The Q4 one is great. And that's where I really mastered this was uh, the week before Christmas was when I tried to close my book, like just the 14th or whatever it was. And people would say like, oh, well, we have, you know, the days around Christmas or before New Year's. And I'd say, Nick, I highly doubt that you want to talk to me at that time. <laughs> Straight up. Like, I know you don't want to talk to a salesperson when you're like picking out Christmas ornaments with your kids or wrapping presents or going sledding or whatever it is you do. And they'd like laugh and go, Yeah, you're right. Like, I don't want to be dealing with this project at that time. Okay, cool. How about we agree to get this wrapped up on the 14th? Gives us plenty of time, a couple of days buffer if we need it, but we'll be done long before the Christmas break. That works really well. So you can use that whether you're you know selling to salespeople or not. I've sold to marketing, I've sold to operations, I've sold to events. So great, you actually have a literal event coming up. <laughs> we need to have this in place for your event, or you know an upcoming campaign, or one of the bullet lists on your CEO's slides for like the top five things that need to happen this year. It's August and you haven't gotten started on number four. Great. So you know what I mean. There's a lot of different things you can use, like what I call societal trends. So holidays, calendar years, things that all apply to all of us, or things that are more you know industry or company specific to whoever you're selling to. You talked about putting this stuff too in a mutual action plan or a joint execution plan. A million different words for it. How do you structure yours? I would just do a quick Excel sheet or sheets or whatever in Google. There's only three columns, right? And it's like, I had a template because I knew exactly what needed to get done at any point in the sales process. Or demo one, I know I need about two more with a couple of different points of contact. I know that I need that soft verbal, all those different things we talked about for price and timeline and all that good stuff. So I had all that listed out. 
as a template. And then I would just make a copy, call it 30 minutes to President's Club mutual action plan and open it up on a screen share with them and just walk them through these steps and then start with the compelling date at the bottom right and then work our way backward. Right. So they'd be like, oh, no, we've got a great legal team. Usually it takes two days. And I'm like, probably right. But let's just give it a week just in case. Right. And that's a good time to ask people, too, is like, oh, two days. So it sounds like pretty light on the legal front. Tell me about the last time that they reviewed a contract for you. Oh, you know, actually, this is my first time. Oh, so you in my head. So you don't really know how long it takes. Great. Make it 10 days. Right. Whatever it is. And you can start building that in. And people will have more ownership of something they co-created than if you give them a completely filled out one, even if it's the exact same outcome as if you had built it with them. It's a fair question, right? You need to know when to do it because if you do it too early and there's too many line items, people might get like, oh, that's that's kind of a lot. So it, it kind of depends, right? So if you want to do like the full sales process around like if you have a pilot, which is a good meaty part of a sales process, that's a great time, right? Because now you're putting skin in the game. You, the sales rep, are going to put a bunch of time into it. They're going to put a bunch of time into it. So anytime you get to a point in your sales process where there's going to be some like mutual additional investment of time or resources, that's a really good time to be like, let's just make sure we're on the same page. Another one is you can just label it and it goes, Hey, Nick, sounds like you're really interested in this and that we have some legs on this. We're going to provide value X, Y, and Z. Hey, are you game to kind of walk through and co-create an action plan to make sure we go from here to that final result that you're looking for? Who's going to say no to that? There's literally no commitment. It makes complete sense. Then you pull it up and you could also, what I would do is frame it. So not the whole list is up at like if there's 13 line items, don't show all 13. Kind of do the scroll or hide it. So you're only showing one, two, three at a time. Walk through it one by one, make sure they're fully, you know, you're just like slowly scrolling, talking through it. This will be this, any questions. And then they can, once you, I would go through the whole thing and then go backward, upward with timelines and making sure like, I'm not telling them the timelines. I'm, I'm suggesting timelines and making them commit June 13th, June 25th, whatever it is. Well, Devin, geez, you're really helping me become a better forecaster. My boss is really going to have a warm feeling in his heart after I uh, listen to this episode again, but we're running out of time and we got to move to the final question. So final question is this, we've talked about a ton of really great things salespeople can be doing to do their job better, but we got to talk about a bad habit now. So my last question for you is what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it hurts more than it helps? Might sound counterintuitive, but it's social proof. Now, it's not that you should not use social proof, but most people don't know how to do it correctly in sales. Here's an example. I work at a, well, now we're a little bit larger, but we're a 600 person company out of San Francisco, right? We sell the tech sales people and we sell technology. A lot of times, me right now, I, I know many vendors I ended up moving with, but it definitely hurt their entry call is, hey, Devin, we work with Walmart, Cisco, Google, and Amazon. Why are you telling me? They are nothing like me. I am not a public company. I don't have tens of thousands of employees and I don't know where they're located, but I'm pretty sure, well, Google might be in my backyard, but you get the idea. I don't identify with any of the companies that you just mentioned. And the whole point of social proof is to create a tribe, a community, a group, and make you feel like you're missing out of that group. And so instead, what you want to do is instead of listing the biggest enterprises, which I get it, you're aiming for credibility. You want to say that we're trusted by the biggest and the best, but that only works if you're selling to the biggest and the best. I'm not, I'm not in that. I'm just the best. I'm just kidding. We're just not the biggest. So what you want to do is pick things like geography, industry, size of company, and the specific problem that they're trying to solve. So for example, if you say, hey, we work with 
Outreach, Groove, and other technology companies that are around 500 employees and sell to salespeople who are also trying to solve one, two, three, whatever that is. Now you've created a little group of like, oh, so you know exactly about me when I feel understood. And two, you have experience with companies just like me solving what I want. Now your social proof is effective. Beautiful. Devin, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Yeah, I've got a new newsletter. It's called the Content Strategy Reader. Free content every Saturday, all about content creation. And if you want, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Talk about sales, talk about content. And uh, I also publish Gong Labs, which is Gong's data-backed sales research blog series. Everybody, go follow Devin. Send him a nice connection request and say, I heard him on 30 Minutes to President's Club, and he's a really wonderful guy. And stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Devin Reed include, number one, a soft yes means best case. You need the hard commit. And what that means is knowing every single step it takes to get a deal done. Number two, when you're trying to triangulate the actual buying process, just ask two people at the same company what the buying process is. If it's the same, chances are it's right. If it's different, you got to dig in more. Which leads us to number three is you need to ask your buyers what has gotten deals done in the past or what has blown up a deal in the past. And that will get you ahead of some of the past graveyard of other salesmen who have failed. And then lastly, number four, the best way to beat procurement is by having a really good champion and to over multi-thread in your process to get your champion to tell you whether or not the discount or the push for lower pricing is actually real. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Folks, you are probably putting prospects in sequences and cadences all day, every day. And we're wondering if you'd be open to having the tables turned on you. Because Armand and I, the wonderful, ridiculously good-looking hosts of 30 Minutes to President's Club, are putting together a newsletter. And you can sign up for that newsletter uh, in today's show notes. There's a link to go do that. So get ready to get harassed with email spam from me and Armand. We only send emails that say, thoughts with a question mark. Not, not really, it, it might actually be valuable. So go sign up and we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.